Hello everyone, I am Marco Germinario. And this is Alessandro Maccarini. And this is Supernova, a podcast about the things we don't know. You know, Alessandro, this morning at six o'clock, this waste collection truck, they woke me up one more time. You know, this huge noise that wake up all the city. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's very typical. I think also my street, they come to collect the waste around probably, yeah, 7, 7 a.m. In, in the morning every week. So yes, I'm I'm very curious to know why. Yes, why why at six o'clock? Why so early, for example? Maybe they could come a little bit later. And then where do they put all of this waste? And then I was thinking, okay, let's talk about waste. Yeah, of course. Because for example, when we are in our house and then we throw something in the bin, where all this waste go? That's uh, the question that we're trying to answer today. Yes, and here we are with Susanna Andreasi. Ciao Susanna. Hello everybody. Susanna is a postdoc at Technical University of Denmark, specialized in environmental energy, waste management and environmental impact. So basically she's an expert in urban waste, correct? Yes. So I was wondering, Susanna, what is waste? And we were considering what is the journey of waste from when it produced to when it disappears? And above all, why did you decide to deal with waste? Why is it so important to deal with waste? So hello everybody and thanks to Marco and Alessandro for the kind introduction. Waste in general is something that uh, the human beings had to deal with from the be- from the beginning of their life and we can say that we can define as any material or product that has no value for the owner so for the person that produces it. The reason why you want to you don't want to deal with it is because it occupies space, it can smell and it does occupy the space where you're living in. So you would like someone else to deal with it. And this is from ancient Rome until now, different populations have been dealing with different. Oh, this is a very good definition actually of waste. And I never really thought about how to define waste. So yeah, that's uh, that's perfect. So you actually, you're talking about the, the history of waste. So in the ancient Romans times, I believe they had for sure a different system of uh, get rid of this waste. So has our society really improved in, in uh, getting rid of waste since those times? In the good and in the bad, we are quite different. First of all, we produce much more waste. We are much more people. We produce much more waste and we produce a very different type of waste. However, also Romans, there are like around Rome, some hills that are actually made by the waste pots made of ceramics. So um, that got broken and they also had to deal with it. So they would just like pile it up in something that we would call a landfill. And then they covered it with the soil and today it's a hill. So also like the concept of landfill so that you just take something you don't want to see anymore and you put it somewhere else so you don't see it anymore. It's a very old concept. However, today we are so much more people and we produce very many different and complex materials. So the we can say on one hand, the more rich, the more advanced the waste management is, But the richer the society, also the higher is the waste generation. So if very poor countries, maybe they throw everything, you know, in dump sites. However, they produce very little compared to us. I guess also we have uh, many different materials to deal with. Yes, this is a bit like the discovery of the industrialization was the generation of uh, rubber, plastic. Paper is a very old, of course, material. But um, now we have, for example, we can use much more like metal and glass. But I would say that probably the material that is a bit the symbol of the post-industrialized countries is plastic. Just because of the, it's a completely artificial product. It's very lightweight, very cheap. It does not like get ruined. So... 
like the, the generation rate exploded after the Second World War, just because it is a genius product in itself with some environmental problems, but in itself is very lightweight. You can transport it, it's cheap to produce. And this is why it's kind of invading all the industrial sectors. In a provocative way, we could also say that the plastic basically improved our life. I mean, even if it comes from oil, right? still uh, make a big difference in our modern time. Actually, I, it was very curious because when I defended my PhD, that uh, was a bit more on plastic. So I discovered that when uh, when plastic was created at the end of the 19th century, to advertise it, actually it was created as a sort of, of lifesavers for elephants because before elephants were killed to use ivory and then it was created the substitute for, uh, for ivory that was not from the killing of the animals. So it was actually advertised and it was almost born as a material that would uh, would kind of cause a lower environmental impact compared to what we consider natural products. The interesting thing is that then before it was used, it was very expensive, but then with uh, after many Nobel Prizes, so after many years and many different people that worked on, then it was discovered that you can actually have so many different types of plastic and you can use it everywhere. Like before, I think when my parents were kids, the majority of uh, drinks, for example, they were in glass bottles. Today, it's plastic because it's cheaper and lighter. And it is a switch that we see in almost all the industrial As everything, I think I, I don't. it's like a knife. You can both use it to cut the meat and to kill a person. So I think that it's important to understand why plastic became so, like, so important in our life. And on the other hand, why it's also like an environmental problem, because we deal with it in a bit of a naive way. I have a direct question for Susanna. So uh, what's the, the material that lasts longest in, in the environment? So what's the material which is the most difficult to get rid of? Because I'm thinking about maybe it's a nuclear waste. Well, I think you have waste is such a generic and broad terms that uh, you can find very difficult waste like nuclear waste. It's a very complex waste because it emits radiation in itself. It's just a material that stays there. You have, for example, glass and metals also. They are stable materials. If you put a gun in the environment, it's not going to degrade very fast. However, with the glass and metal, we are quite good at recycling it. They have, especially metal, has a quite high value. So wherever you go, it's quite rare that you will see metal in the landfills. This is because it has a value. Take it, clean it, and then recycle it, meaning it like uh, melt it and make a new product. And then like you have on the other end of the range, you have, for example, paper and cardboard that uh, do degrade because they are like natural. Yeah, they're a natural product, but they also release emissions in itself. And then you have food waste that we consider it as a not very impacting material because we think that if we throw it in the environment, it will degrade. That's true. It will disappear. That's true. However, also that degradation will have quite high environmental impacts. So um, I think that each of these material has to be handled in a different way and in a safe way. And of course, there are some materials like, as you said, nuclear waste probably is the most complex. This is why it's also the waste where we have the most creative solution, like sending them in on the moon with a rocket, putting them into a satellite, or this is because that's maybe something we really don't know what to do with. But also batteries, actually, like normal batteries is something that we don't really know what to do. It's very expensive to deal with, but they are everywhere. It's not that we stopped using batteries. I'm very curious to start this uh, journey of urban waste, starting from these uh, waste collection trucks in the morning that collect the waste we don't want, you know, the, the waste we produce. So I'm, I'm very curious to start from these uh, the trucks. Where do they go? How do they treat it? I mean, 
You talk about landfills, but I know there are also incinerators and uh, there are some problems with them. It would be very interesting just to have a brief uh, journey of these things we don't know. So I will start and then you can make me some questions. So we can say that the, the journey of waste is a bit like a tree. It starts from one thing that is a household. So right now we are focusing on municipal waste. So waste that is produced by households. There are many other different types of waste. So like uh, human waste, like wastewater, or you can have, for example, like industrial waste, like nuclear waste. But to be a bit more focused, I think we decided to focus on this like waste generated by people. And this means that that's the generation, is the persons that produce it. But then each of these waste can have very different fate, depending on where you are and on what you do with it. I would say that today in Europe, the majority of houses and flats, they have different bins. I think we have all been trained with it, in which you're supposed to put recyclables and non-recyclables, like recyclables, organic waste, and non-recyclables. And already this distinction is quite, I think, quite hard to grasp by normal people, because what is recyclable? And in general, we can say that we have plastic, metal, and glass, and paper that we should put into the recyclable bin. We have food waste and garden waste that we put in the organic bin, so everything that would smell after a while, I think that's a very easy definition. And then all the rest, so things that we don't know what to do. I say that there is, in general, if you are confused about what to put, where it's good to know that if you don't know where to put, it's not recyclable. So if it looks like a weird product and you're not sure which material it is, it's very good to put it into the residuals because it will end up there anyway, as we will see. Now we can take each of these fractions maybe. So already we start from one. Now the three became, we can say three. And then maybe we can talk about what happens to each of them very briefly. And then we can go more into details. Usually, then the trucks come to your place. It takes it, takes the recyclables. We start with it. Very often, you have small trucks in the city. Then they will go to some transfer stations. These are simply like storage places where the waste can be transferred from a small truck that can go through the cities to larger trucks. That's quite common. So we said we have recyclables. Recyclables, as you know, sometimes you put plastic and metals together or plastic, metal, and papers together. Or you can have five bins, three bins in some countries, even glasses, it's uh, divided by colors and so on. But the idea is that this material would arrive into a sorting station. This means it's just a plant, a very large plant that takes the bin and then divides it into different fractions. So, for example, in cities where plastic is thrown out with metal, you would go with plastic and metal. Or where paper and cardboard very often is together, paper will go on one end and cardboard on the other end. Very often glass is kept alone. This is, I think, quite common in the majority of the cities. So I would say glass very often is divided into different colors. And then we say plastic, however, plastic is actually a family of material. It's just because for simplification that we call it plastic. But plastic has different polymers and each of these polymers has completely different properties. So these sorting sessions will also divide, for example, films. So the plastic bags or the food film. When you say polymers, can you explain in a very, very, very simple term what different polymers are? You mean different uh, properties, different chains of carbon? So the plastic is something that is created totally from the man, from oil. So it takes the oil, so the carbons, and then how you combine the different molecules actually will give you different properties. This is why you can have a bottle and you can have a film or you can have like plastic is also the one that you have in the car. Sometimes plastic can be put in the oven, like silicones and so on. And the idea is that the more you combine them differently, 
So you would have like a monomer and then you put them, you make some chains. So you have polymers. So these chains, you can build them differently. And then, of course, you can always add some addictive. When you say chains, you were talking about uh, chains of uh, carbon, ox oxygen, hydrogen. Yes. Exactly. Okay, got it. So these three very simple molecules actually can... Uh, can uh, and it's actually quite interesting to think that someone thought about it in such a way that you really can have so different materials. Yeah, we can control basically matter, I mean, by arranging three atoms in many, many different ways. A bit on that. And then also like chemistry helps us with the addition of addictives. So for example, the, I just have a pen in my hand. So to make the lid of the pen, you add the color is blue. It's quite resistant. So the idea you see is that you have to put quite a lot of strength. However, if you put it in an oven, it will burn. This is because if you have a pen, the producers of the pen, they don't care that these are supposed to resist to heat. So I just hear, like I have such a two different things. This is a very classic plastic bottle. What this is supposed to do is actually just to contain water and then you have a lid. So as you can see, the, this body is very different from the label that you have and it's quite different from the lid. So already in plastic bottles, very often you have three different polymers. And already here you can see that this very transparent, nice bottle has going to have a value. The film has almost no value and the lid has a different value. When you say value, what do you mean? That it can be reused again? That someone is interested in buying it. So the definition of waste is that the owner doesn't care. So when we drink water with the owner, we don't care. However, it is true that uh, one man's trash is another man's treasure. So there can be someone else that is interested in buying it. Because for them, this bottle is actually a product because they can buy it. So you buy it and then you can do something with it. And then you can sell it again, maybe to other people that would uh, manufacture other bottles. And this is the definition of recycling. Yes. So the definition of recycling is, and it's quite different from reusing, but recycling means that you take a material, you, you take a product, And then you destroy the product to get the material, meaning that you take the plastic and probably you will shred it into very different pieces and you will make pellets and then you will use these pellets to make some new products. So basically you rearrange these uh, atoms and molecules, these polymers. Well, if you reuse it, it means that, for example, if you have a piece of paper like here, it's written on one and then you turn it and you reuse it as a paper. So you're not adding anything you're not changing this product so in this case we are reusing it i believe that for example the recycling of this uh, plastic bottle it takes a lot of uh, energy to also to actually to destroy it and then to make a new product so there's really a business model for those companies that do that that can really have a, a, some some earnings from this uh, process because of course from the society point of view it makes sense but there are really business cases that are successful in doing this So that's an interesting question because yes and no. So yes, when it works, no, when it doesn't work. So this is because we are based on the market, like we are partially based on the market. So if you want to recycle metal or paper, you need to have someone that is interested in buying it. And we have to say that today, as the citizens, when we pay our waste tax, we pay the expenses of collecting waste. So the waste trucks that wakes everybody very early in the morning, they are not paid by the market value of the products. They are usually paid by people that pay a tax to get rid of their waste. And this is because in the majority of cases, collection is extremely expensive and the waste will not have this value. Sometimes you have with good paper, sometimes you have 
with other type of waste, but very often it's too expensive. Okay, so the process in itself is not really, let's say, economical sustainable. So we, we need to, to provide some taxes from, from the society in order to make this process um, possible, this, this uh, transformation possible. Yes, like not always you have some materials that work, but uh, very often in Europe today, the majority, like I would say the totality of uh, citizens pay a waste tax to kind of convert this waste into something that could have a value in the market. And even in this case, we export waste that has no value for us. I think it's the interesting thing of waste is that nobody wants to deal with it in general. And the, the valuable waste, you do sometimes like you have like metal, for example, has a very old chain of recycling. Glass has a very old chain of recycling. So since glass existed, and we can say that it was also recycled already because very often had an economic value to be recycled. Paper as well, we can say not all the paper, but the majority of paper has been recycled from the beginning. This is because you take the paper, you put it into water. I don't know if you ever did it when you were a kid, but you divide into small pieces, you add water, you make the pulp, and then you can make paper again. Yeah, yeah, I think I remember from uh, yeah from primary school, we, we did some of these uh, experiments, yeah. That's more or less what a recycling company does. So Susanna, the waste collection is paid by us, actually. So you're telling us that uh, I'm paying this collection truck to wake me up at six o'clock in the morning every day. So you are paying it. And then in Europe today, apart from Denmark, actually, but the, all the other countries, they have something that is called extended producer responsibility. This means that the producer of this bottle also will share the cost of collection and sorting. This is because, in theory, you should incentivize producers to produce materials that is uh, recyclable, so that it's easier to recycle. But in general, in Europe, in different ways, with different forms, the collection and a part of the sorting, so sorting, this is what I said, is that it's a big plant that will divide it into something that can be sold in the market and has this something can be very different depending on the country. It's paid by citizens and by the producers. So we have waste collection, sorting, paid by the citizen and the producer. And then we have some companies that buy, let's talk about plastic, these uh, polymers, and uh, they, they modify them into other plastic that can resell it. So you have sorting and now we still don't have polymers. Usually sorting, you have some bales. For example, you would take this. Now, depending on the sort. So we say sorting, but sorting can be you take the bottle, some sorting already separate the body from the label, from the lid. But let's say let's say that we are able to separate. Then we still have a product. Then they are sold. The bales are sold in the market. And in this case, now we enter in the next step. That is actually a, a group of steps that is called recycling. So people that buy this bale where you still have a product and then very often you shred it or you pelletize it. Pelletize is when you get these pellets of plastic. So then you produce a secondary material. So we can say that recycling is the person that buys a product, wash it, sort it again to remove all the impurities and then sells this secondary material. Yes. So you're telling me that uh, some plastic bottles are just washed and reused as they are. That only happened in Denmark before. And this is because they had this uh, strong reusing business that is now is dying out. So now it's, uh, I think not, I think in Denmark, there are no plastic bottles where this happens. So today it's cheaper actually to recycle than to reuse. This is also for glass. Before in Germany and in Denmark and in other countries, you would take the glass bottles, wash them, rinse them, 
and then simply refill them. This is what happened for centuries. Also before, when you had the milk outside your door in Galita, where I am now, the person would leave the bottle outside, the guy would take the bottle, the bottle itself, wash it, rinse it, fill it with milk and sell it again. Today, I would say on one hand, unfortunately, it's much cheaper to take the bottle, crash it, you know, when you throw it into our bins, you would throw it so it will break. This is because it occupies less space. As I said, collection is expensive. You take it, you take this broken glass, you break it even more, and then you melt to make new bottles. This is recycling. So in the market economy, we are now recycling actually appears to be cheaper than reusing. Even if very often from an environmental point of view, reusing is a bit better, but it's more expensive and more complex logistically. I actually have a question uh, regarding the um, landfills, because so far we have been mainly talking about products that can be recycled. But what about all those products that cannot be recycled and they go into these like mountains of trash? So I'm, I'm very curious to know what these landfills are and how they really work. I mean, I'm choosing landfill vs incinerators, you know, pro and cons of both. So first of all, we talked about the three bins. The bins where usually you put everything else is these residual bins where you don't know where to put the rest. But when we talk about landfilling and incineration, it's not only this bin, but also all the impurities from the recycling and the organic. So in Italy, almost 50% of the plastic collected as plastic is actually thrown out as residual in the following steps. This is because it's an impurity. They don't know what to do. It's just an error of the sorting step. So when we talk about landfilling and incineration, let's remember that a lot of what we citizens sort as recyclables still do not find a way into a new product. So this group of things, we can say ways that nobody knows what to do with, it has mainly, not only, but mainly two endings. In the world, the majority is landfill. In the very rough way, landfill is a piece of land where you throw things. This is how ancient Romans did, and this is what it is found in the majority of the country. However, today when we talk about landfills, we usually mean something called sanitary landfills. So it is an engineered site where you have a plastic lining at the bottom. You collect the liquid, you know, when you have some organic that um, decompose, you have this liquid also at home. So this liquid is actually collected and treated. They are covered so that collect the gas. And in this case, landfills are an engineered site that has a very low environmental impact, if not, of course, for the, for the space that you are occupying. In the rest of the world, we have a much higher quantity of what is called dam sites. So when you see just a piece of mountain and then just waste there everywhere. And, and in this case, the landfill has a very high environmental impact because you don't, it's not controlled. It's, and landfills are, as I said, a site. In theory, it's a tomb, it's a coffin of waste. This was how in the past it has been seen. So you will cover it with soil and that's it. We got rid of the waste. In many parts of the world, especially in the developing world, you will see people living in landfills getting valuables. And this is because, as I said, collection is expensive. It's much cheaper to take everything and put everything together. If you have a cheap enough labor, you will have people living in landfills in these mountains of landfill, trying to get what is valuable that we have to say is mainly metal, as I said, metal, glass, plastic bottles sometimes, and paper in this case would get ruined, so paper no. That's why we, in these third world countries, we see all these people in this, you know, between the landfills. 
because they are doing the collection basically. Yes, and it's very the biggest. I think that everybody saw there is a huge one in Cairo. This is a neighborhood living on the landfill, uh, Ciudad del Mexico. Like Mexico City has the second huge landfill where thousands of people live. Yes, this is what they do because then they collect it, they sort it themselves, and then they sell it to buyers for very low quantity of money. So these are not usually the richest people of the world. However, it is a business in their case. In uh, Europe, this does not happen because waste is private, so actually it's illegal to do it. So this is landfills. Landfill, when you landfill a lot of organic waste that will decompose, as I said, will make this waste. So leachate, this liquid that is very toxic, so you want to treat it and will make um, greenhouse gases because uh, when the food decomposes, you would have carbon dioxide and methane, very common. So this gas sometimes is collected and burned to make energy. As you can see, you can go from a dump site with people living on it to a highly engineered and very expensive site where everything is controlled. Who pays for that? Uh, what is the business behind? Just the state pays for it or there are some business? So you have some business because you can collect this gas and sell it. However, in general, landfill is paid by our base waste tax. In the, then you can recover a bit of cost, not so much. Today, they are talking about urban mining. So there is a talk that is more, I would say, field does not have a business case where you go to an old landfill, you excavate it again, and you take you dig out the, the materials that have a value today. However, it's still more theoretical than practical because imagine how expensive it is to dig out an old landfill, clean out everything, and so on. But it's a space. So the more space is limited. So Denmark, that does not have a lot of space, they have been already 100 years ago, they built the first incinerator plant. So they don't have so much space for landfills. So let's remember landfill is the cheapest. If you don't do this very highly engineering, if you just take a piece of land and throw it out, it's very cheap. But countries that have, uh, you know, very compact, as I said, Denmark is the first case. At the beginning of the 20th century, they started burning their waste to get rid of it. And also there we had a development. We go from a normal furnace where you just want to get rid of waste. So the first objective of an incinerator plant is to burn it and reduce the volume. Because, of course, when you burn it, then you reduce the volume. To what we have today that are more energy plants. So you take the waste, all of it, this residual waste, then you bring it to the furnace where it's burnt. Then the energy from this combustion is actually used for energy production. So in Denmark, it's for electricity and warm and hot water. Many other countries, it's only electricity. So you just bring it to us, to like the steam is brought to a boiler that will then be used for energy production. They use for the city, basically. For the city, yes. Or for uh, industry. For uh, district heating, yeah. For district heating in Scandinavia, while in Southern Europe is mainly electricity. But then you have, let's remember that incinerators, they burn the waste, but then when you make, for example, a barbecue, then you have the ashes on the bottom. So these ashes, they're still there. You have to take these ashes. The ashes we call bottom ashes. What we say is would be the ashes from a barbecue. So these black ashes that you just see at the bottom. In some countries, you use them for streets. Many others, you bring them to a landfill, depending on where you are. But then also, when you make a barbecue, you have the gases. So in an incinerator, it's not a barbecue. They take the gases. They clean them out. The air that is released, in theory, should have a very limited impact on wealth, on, uh, on human health. 
And from this cleaning, that it's almost the most expensive part of the incinerator, is to clean out the gases, you have some other ashes that are actually highly toxic. So they go to a special land. So it's not that an incinerator makes the waste disappear. You still have something to, that you have to treat. Today we saw, I think, especially in some countries like Italy, UK, France, Denmark, I think this hasn't arised. You see the strong opposition of citizens to incinerators, very strong. And this is due to some good reasons, and I would say some less good reasons. So the characteristic of incinerators, it has two characteristics that I think everybody should remember. The first is that it makes waste disappear. So it makes also the value of waste disappear. So if you have some valuable waste, it will go out. The second thing is that once that you built it, it's the most expensive waste treatment technology. It has to last for many years and we can say it's blocked. So once that you build a big incinerator, that incinerator has to burn that quantity of waste of that technology. It's not that you build an incinerator today and then you say, okay, but in 10 years I will have half of the waste. So then I will just use half capacity. It doesn't work this way. It's a huge plant that it has been designed for a specific type of waste. So it's a we can say that then if you have a developing system, then you build a very expensive plant and then you want to burn waste to produce energy. And this is actually what we saw in Denmark. In Denmark, there is no position of people. People are used to incinerators. They don't care. They are in the middle of the city. I think nobody cares about them. This is because they had them for more than 100 years. But today, Denmark, since they had to recycle plastic and organic waste, this means that their waste change. They are importing waste because now they have not a monster, but they have an animal that you have to feed. If you want to sell like energy from it, then you have to feed what you made the animal be fed of. So if before you had a mixed waste, now you cannot just keep plastic, plastic bottles. You have to feed more or less what you designed the plant to be. So people are opposing to it because they think it, it pollutes and it's bad for the health. This is not true for modern plants. But I would say probably in Italy where people don't trust too much the publics to control them. It can be, of course, if you don't control, as I said, the gas cleaning systems, then you think that they are polluting because they have been polluting in the past. People like oppose incineration plants mainly for, I would say, a bad reason. So because they're afraid of health. The wrong reason. Yes, because a, a well-managed new incineration plant does not pose a risk to health. Of course, you always have an impact on health. However, compared to other things that happen to you. We have to say that there have been very badly managed incineration plants, meaning that they were releasing higher amounts of components that they were not supposed to release. So, for example, dioxins that everybody is very concerned to. This happens when you burn plastic at a lower temperature that you're supposed to. And dioxin in modern plants, this should be com almost completely removed from the gases because they are toxic. However, if you have a badly managed power plant that is not properly checked by your state, then this can happen. So we have to, I would say, divide a well-managed plant from a poorly managed plant. But I would say this happens for all the plants. So when you build something, of course, if you don't run it as you're supposed to and nobody checks you, this is a bit of a different story. You're telling us that uh, in modern incinerator, if well managed and used correctly, does not pose a threat for human health. No, not higher than other things, that, that other very common things, no. However, I would like to also to add that, as I said before, the incinerator is a, it's a kind of blockage to a development. So as I said, once that you built it, you use it. Once that you build it, you import waste, you don't want to recycle, 
even if now we can say you build it 10 years ago and today, for example, organic waste has a value and you want to recycle it. You spend so much money on that incineration plant that you need to have very good reason to change because then you're going to lose billion on it. When uh, you import waste, I mean, do, do you actually pay the waste or you get money? Because, of course, for the country that is selling waste, they're actually happy to, to give their, their waste to someone else. So what is the value when you import waste? You, you pay money or you actually receive money? <laughs> Very often you receive money. Okay. Yeah. So in um, this is because nobody wants to, in in a perfect world you would pay for for it, but in the in the reality you don't. And this is why when we talk about the landfill now a lot of countries are implementing landfill taxes since landfills are so much cheaper sometimes. Then you say you know what I will artificially increase the price of it. So if you're a municipality you need to look for something else than a landfill. But um, incineration, very often, Denmark imported a lot of UK waste. British people are traditionally against incinerators. Austria and Germany imported a lot of Italian waste. And very often, yeah, you get paid for it. Not of, sometimes you pay very, very rarely. So for the incinerator, it's actually an income. Yeah, exactly. I would think so. so what do you think will be the future of this system of waste management? I mean, of this last part of the, of the cycle, of this journey. Do you think, for example, in 20, 30 years, there will be still incinerators? We still build new incinerators that will be found another way? I mean, the remote future of waste management. So I think, to be honest, the world is full of landfills that I don't see a world with zero incinerators. Like, first of all, landfills have a quite high impact compared to incinerators. Not always, as I said, you know, when, when then you start becoming an expert on something, then you always say it depends. And also in this case, it depends on the case. But um, I would say I don't see a very near future where incinerators will go away. It can happen in the future. I think we have to stop thinking waste as the last chain because you need to think about the first chain of the product. Of the product. So, for example, how you design projects Sorry, how do you design products to be recycled if you really want to have a successful waste management? And I would also like to highlight that even if I'm an expert on waste management, all the studies that we did, you know, the best waste is no waste. So the fact that we recycle well does not mean that we need to produce more than we need. So this is a very important point because very often not producing is much better than producing and recycling like a thousand times. In the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned about uh, sending the trash to the space. Is this a reality or is it just fantasy? So, to be honest, but this, like with nuclear waste especially, has been a, a thought. I, I don't think like very, um, it's not that someone really designed a rocket yet, but uh, for specific waste that you don't really know what to do. You know, today there are wastes that we put into the um, like old mines. So this is because we really don't know what to do with them. Like, uh, it's not only nuclear waste, also this waste I told you from the incinerators, from the gas cleaning, also that we don't really know what to do with it. So we put it to fill old mines. Some nuclear waste is put under the ocean, you know, there has been a thought about making it drop. Some batteries, we know so little about what to do, even with the small one, that you put them into concrete and then you kind of seal them and then put them into a cave. So there are a lot of materials that we actually produce and we have no clue what to do with them. So um, it's a bit of a, sometimes I would say that it's important maybe to ask when you produce a new product, okay, but then what do you do with it today or in 10 years, you know? Even with some of our solar panels, we are not 100% sure, you know, or cell phones that 
everybody has one is not that when you throw a cell phone, it's very easy to get anything out of it, even if it's full of good materials, but it hasn't been designed to be recycled in any sort without using very cheap labor from developing countries, you know, where you see these videos of kids opening and burning electronic waste. We do it because it's cheaper. There is always, a, I would say, follow the money, you know? Susanna, we have not so much time left. I just want to ask you about one very hot topic, which is plastic in the oceans. It's a bit like incinerators. I would like maybe to, to give a bit of a different point of view. I know that we have all been hearing and seeing and uh, discussing about plastic in the ocean. And it is a hot topic because plastic in the ocean does not really degrade, does not disappear. It breaks down in very small pieces. And then you have what is now called plastic soups. You don't have a bag that you can take it out. You have this very, very like uh, spread small quantities of plastic. And it is true that in 2050, probably we will have more plastic in our oceans than fish. So I don't want to limit the problem. However, I would say that it has been a bit of a media, also of a media push for it. So the majority of plastic in the ocean come from 10 rivers in the world. Then the majority of plastic, the waste that we throw in Europe does not end up into the oceans. This is because if you are a richer country, you have an okay collection. However, like I took a boat last week and even in some of the caves was full of small pieces of waste in all the caves that we visited. So it is a problem. I don't think it's very easily solvable. But I would say that, for example, everybody's talking about uh, packaging of food waste. Let's remember, and I would like to highlight it, that wasting food is much worse than throwing the packaging. Because the majority of the packaging we produce in Europe will not go into the ocean first. Probably it will go into a landfill. It's not the best idea. But to waste food has a much higher impact like the, the food production that, you know, I know that it's organic, it's natural. If you throw it in the forest, the banana peel, it will disappear in a while. But to produce that banana, we put so much energy and pesticides that to throw that only banana is a terrible thing. So the food waste that I know everybody now is concerned between organic and non-organic and, uh, and plastic. I would say plastic is a very hot topic. But it is important to highlight that first this, that food waste is, if there is one thing that if one should avoid is to throw out food. Second, and maybe I won't be super, uh, how to say, very liked now, is that many people are now shifting for non-plastic products. And that's very good. Like, you know, But the idea is that you should shift to products that are not thrown out. That's the problem, is this thrown out society. If you change from one made of plastic to one made of cotton, you're not solving anything. You're actually doing much worse. This is because in any case, you will take that, that you had to produce and transport and you will throw it out. So in general, it would be nice to shift into long lasting products and then you can decide of which material more than to continue with what we've always done thrown out society and then just change the material and throw it out. And this is the same now. There has been a big study where they compared what if today a person changed all its like plastic items, one way, how to say, like thrown out plastic, um, plastic products, so plastic bottles, anything that after one use you throw out. And for example, reduce meat consumption of half so that every time you take a burger, you take half of a burger. So we're not talking about becoming vegan or vegetarian, just reducing half 
the difference in, is mind-blowing. Like there is a thousand-fold higher impact of eating double the meat compared than like using all of these plastic items. This is to say that we need to be careful about what a good message should be. You know, if we have to put all our energy in changing something of our life, we have to be a bit careful about where do we put all our energy and all our money. So if there are two things, then is that we should use like things that last, the more is better. In the majority of cases, it depends, but that's a good rule of thumb. And second, that our like eating habits have a very high impact, eating habits and flying, I would say, on what we say, like climate change and so on, even if plastic is made from oil. That's it. I finished my political speech now. <laughs> Uh, basically, we should try to focus on things that last more and try to consume a little bit less, basically. And you, and you said regarding the, the plastic and the ocean, you said there was 10 countries or 10 cities in the world that produce... 10 rivers. A rivers, okay. The majority of plastic enters the ocean through 10 rivers. Now, this is not to clean our conscience and to think that, because the majority are in Asia, that since we are in Europe, we don't care because very a lot of our plastic products that have no value and we don't know what to do with them, we simply export them to Asia and then they will probably end up in the ocean because we send them to poor countries that have nowhere else where to throw them. So it's not that if something happens in China, we have nothing to do with it. We have been exporting almost 50% of our plastic collecting for recycled outside Europe until like a few years ago. So you know, everybody wants to get rid of waste. And this, uh, I would say, is uh, also governments want to get rid of waste because they would like it to disappear much more. As far as you know, is the world uh, make something to reduce this uh, plastic uh, pollution of the sea? Are they trying to uh, coordinate in some way, for example, focusing on these rivers or something? There are a lot of projects that are happening today. Uh, I think there is this plastic island in the middle of the Pacific that is larger than uh, France. It's very big. There are some projects that are trying to do something out of it. I would say until the inflow does not stop. So when we will stop throwing like uh, waste into the ocean, it's going to be very hard to even think about um, like a solution. However, there are there have been some First of all, now everybody knows about it. That's you know awareness is the first usually is the first step. There have been some projects, but Still now you have the rivers of plastic. Uh, I think in the internet, it's quite interesting to see rivers of plastic ending up uh, because if you live close to a river and um, you have a landfill, if it rains a lot, the landfill will simply slide in the river. This is very common. It's not something that happens once in a while. And then many landfills are close to the sea. So it's, um, it's still uh, an issue as waste generation that we consume too much and generate too much waste so i would say generate much more waste that we know what to do with okay well susanna thanks a lot for this uh, journey of only one hour but i felt i've been uh, you know all around the world with this uh, very interesting uh, yeah cycle of uh, recycling and uh, waste management and, and so on i think i have a bit more clear ideas it's uh, also for the listeners uh, as usually if someone wants to write us or we should go more in depth in some of the areas we talked about. You're very welcome to write. Thank you very much, Susanna. Thank you, Susanna. Thanks. It was a pleasure. And thank you, Alessandro, also. It was a pleasure to chat with you as well. Thank you, Marco. And that's all for today. Goodbye.